Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Late in a one-score game on primetime between the Chargers and the Cowboys, you better believe I was strapped up ready for some craziness to end that game. And in the end, all it was was a routine turnover, game over, and everybody got to go home disappointed, unless you're a Cowboys fan, of course. Um, We're going to talk about Monday Night Football as well as some edge rushers in this upcoming 2024 NFL draft class. And to do that, i got Trevor Sikkema to talk to me. How's it going, Trev? Good, man. Uh, Excited to talk about a thrilling Monday Night Football game and a perhaps actor, actress that was planted (laughs) as a fan that we were chatting a little bit about before the show went on. But I think we need to talk about it for the people at some point. Yeah, I mean, that lady got her money's worth out of whatever that game was, loss or win. She was. I was going to say, or she didn't. Because she might have felt that way because, like you said, maybe she had $700,000 riding on a 19-leg parlay that she just needed the Chargers to win. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Mike Quinn, our our producer in the booth over here, suggests that she was simply a paid actor uh, stashed there, planted on the broadcast to be out of her mind, over the top, excited about anything that happened so they could zoom the cameras in. Um, or it's a combination of both, right? Maybe she was paid to be an actor and put all that money on the parlay that she needed to come through. Part of me thinks that she was just, uh, uh, the phantom is a wild thing and that was more proof of it. And then the other part of me is like, you know what? I appreciate the depth of emotions on each side. Like to go from on top of the world from a simple first down conversion to it's all crumbling underneath you. I mean, that's some serious depth of emotion that you go through there. I mean, I, I, a part a little bit of me is jealous, actually. I can I can relate to being that invested in a game, right? I was pretty close at the weekend in the Rugby World Cup. I can't quite mm. relate to being that visibly outwardly emotive about it you know like i did the whole sort of screaming at the tv fist bumping you know shouting exclamation type stuff but i didn't do the like unhinged like <laughs> all that kind of stuff right like that feels maybe like you did because there's, no, there's actually no way to prove that you didn't That's so true. you saying that maybe you're doing that to be cool and maybe you were maybe you were worse than that lady and didn't even have any money on i will say i'm still in mourning over that that loss and you know i keep texting friends and stuff about it from in back in ireland and it's all just like it's literally like a wake um but i was texting one of them and i was like i've never cried after a sporting event like a loss that's gone against you a fan whatever i've never shed tears but that was the first game where afterwards i felt the pang of like maybe i want to maybe i want to just break down now maybe maybe i want to just let the tears flow and you know suffer through it mourn let you got to let it out i i for the very first time after that Ireland-New Zealand game, I felt that. I was like, I can see how people would now. And then the bank came and took your house because you bet <laughs> your entire mortgage on Ireland. No, because I am smart enough to understand that the only way out of that situation is to emotionally hedge with my bets. Like, yeah, if, right. I am, <laughs> right. if I am betting on an Ireland game, the bet is going on the opposition so that at least there's some crumb of comfort when they inevitably let me down. I've never done that. 
but I do understand people that do. I've never, but I, I've, I've never done it, but I do understand people that do. No, that's 100%. That's the only way out. I can't, I can't compound the misery with, uh, with something even worse. So it, it's got to be, it's got to be the emotional hedge bet. Anyway, you haven't come here to hear about my misery. You've come here to hear about Monday Night Football. But first, we're going to tell you about our friends at Fabric who are all about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western, Western Southern Life Insurance Company have not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Trev, what were your uh, big takeaways then from our the, the Monday Night Football game we witnessed? I mean, it was honestly, it was just a, a really good game, I thought, all around. You know, in the end, Dak and the Cowboys, I think, made more plays, especially deeper down the field. And that's what ended up being the difference in this game. Herbert goes 0 for 4 on passes that were beyond 20 yards. You know, the receiving group for the Chargers, man, without Mike Williams, it doesn't look great. Uh, I mean, Quentin Johnston is not a factor for this team at all whatsoever. And, and that's not good. I know there were some question marks on, you know, where you should rank him as a prospect, where he was in this wide receiver group. And, with Mike Williams going down, you thought that that would have been the moment for him. Hey, it's time to step up. Now you have a clear path and a clear role to be able to fill, and he just hasn't. You know, he gets two targets last night, doesn't catch either of them. Uh, Keenan Allen still looks pretty dang good, which is really impressive because I thought over the last couple of years as he's been hurt, maybe his athleticism would have been cooked, but he looks pretty good. They're clearly leaning on him a ton, but. Herbert just was not quite as accurate as he needed to be down the stretch, especially hitting those big throws. And that was all the difference in the world in a game that was really close and highly contested throughout. So uh, I think a hat tip to Dak. I know he missed that throw to Tony Pollard, which could have kind of put the game away, but a lot of other big time throws that got CeeDee Lamb very involved in that game. That was great to see Um, a ton of great plays from Brandon Cooks as well. And I just felt like Dak played a, little bit better of a game than Herbert did and that's what it all came down to so it, it was a close one I don't really have like a nuclear take from this game other than <laughs> hey well well done from the Cowboys and well done from Dak doing it doing what they needed to do to get a road win and I think you could see why the Chargers weren't able to win this game and it's kind of just something that hey next week you got to be able to hit those shots you got to be able to be better yeah I mean Dak being better than Herbert in this game is a really simplistic way of breaking it down. But honestly, it was the difference. Like Dak made a few plays and Justin Herbert missed a few plays. And that right. was, I mean, forget the interception at the end. It, it was a bad play. It's He's under pressure. It's tight coverage. He took a shot. Fair enough. But like the dagger plays uh, in terms of the negative for Herbert is he missed two wide open, schemed up. Sl- they were the same play, I think. They were like a sluggo uh, route. Yeah, and go. the one to the one to Allen on the sideline on the left side of the line uh, on the left side of uh, of the field was tough. Like you, you got you got to hit that throw. Yeah. You don't you don't you don't get to cook the DB as good as Keenan Allen cooked that DB very many times, even on a deception route. That's like the that. thing. Like it's hard to get that wide open in the NFL with you know scheme route whatever it is. When you dial that up, you have to hit it right. Right, and he missed two of them. So even if he'd gone 50-50, even if he'd only hit one of the two, you would still be like, that's leaving a play out there on the table. To come away with nothing from either of them, those could have been like two giant touchdowns in the game, and instead they get absolutely nothing because Herbert missed a couple of easy shots. And, you know, for all the crazy plays that Justin Herbert is capable of making, you have to take the ones that are there that are literally 
expected from any quarterback in the NFL to hit that. When you dial that up, you've got to take advantage, and they didn't. The Quentin Johnston thing is weird at this point. I mean, he played 21 receiving snaps and basically didn't feature in the game whatsoever. Like, Mm -hmm. I... I was lower on him than most people in the draft, and I'm starting to get like weird echoes of Laquan Treadwell. Like I was as low on Laquan Treadwell coming out as anybody that I knew, and I was still too high on him. Apparently, I, mm. I'm kind of starting to get that feeling from Quentin Johnson. Like I was lower on him than than anybody, and you're still like, why? I mean, he's doing nothing at the moment. Yeah, when I watched Quentin Johnston, I, I had him as wide receiver three. My top five was uh, in this order: Jack Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, Josh Downs, and then Jordan Addison. I was obviously very concerned about Addison just holding up, being as small as he was, right. elite route runner. But I really wondered how that would fare going up against bigger, stronger, faster defensive backs in the NFL. But he is clearly playing the way that we saw him play at Pittsburgh and at USC. So it's a big hat tip to him. But when I watched Quentin Johnston, yeah, I felt like there were some confusing parts of his tape. But I I did feel as though putting him in an environment with a better quarterback would allow his strengths to shine more. And it really has not been the case at all whatsoever. Like there were plenty of times when I'm watching TCU where Quinn Johnson's getting open and they're either not looking his way, not throwing in the ball, or it's a poorly thrown ball by Max Duggan. And I just felt as though chances are in the NFL, you're going to have a better quarterback who is more efficient at getting you the ball where you need to get the ball. It just hasn't been the case for him so far. And again, like I'm, I'm now a little worried. I hate, I hate saying that like you're you're worried about a rookie halfway through their rookie year because these guys all acclimate so differently. Right. Whether there's great paths to playing time or not, you, these are young men coming into a different type of life, and there's so many things that are happening for them both on and off the field that go into production and confidence and all that kinds of stuff. New environments, new cities, new teammates, new coaches that you did not choose yourself, that you did not do the research on to make sure that you know you're making your right decision going to the next spot. All of these things go into uh, what could be early production or lack of production. And so it's I always try to be cautious talking about guys who are struggling, especially in the first half of rookie years, but with Williams going down, if Quinn Johnson was going to stand out right away, you figure he would have. And he's just, he's he's not at all whatsoever. They're clearly trusting Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer and, and Gerald Everett and certainly um, Austin Eckler as well. Like th- there are so many more players on that team that they are willing to give a chance to when it comes to those passing attempts than Quinn Johnson. He's, he's very low on that totem pole, if you will. So, uh, it's a little bit concerning. I'm not overly worried about it because it is still really early for him. But yeah, I thought he'd be much more of a factor, and he's not. What's, he's just not. What's strange to me is I feel like they could be doing more to get him involved. Like, so I've told the story I think before in the podcast. Like, you know, Mike Renner set set the draft board. I come to it way later. Uh, Quentin Johnson was the first receiver that I watched because he was number one on, on Renner's board. And literally my initial reaction quite quickly in was to like talk, was to message Renner. I'm like, are you sure this guy isn't actually terrible? (laughs) (laughs) I remember you saying this to me. I remember this. Yeah. And it's like, and, and okay. Eventually he did sort of sell me on the things that he does well. I'm like, all right, I can, I can see that. And I, I accept that there is a role for that in the NFL, right? Kind of like, you know, Michael Thomas early in his career ran a slant and a go, and that was it, right? And that, that's all you needed because you could get him on the field and you could have him run a slant or a go every single play. And right. there's, there's a role there. DK Metcalf ran a very, very uh, Spartan route tree earlier in his career before they started to expand what he could do. Um, so I'm like, all right, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. He runs sort of two or three things really well. There's enough there that you can make that work. So I couldn't drop him like too far, right? I'm like, I don't like him. He's behind certainly the other two of the the quote unquote big three. Uh, I had him way, but like Addison was my number one. I had JSN two, Johnson number three. On reflection, I was high enough on Tank Dell that I should have trusted that a bit more and put him above Johnson. But I'm like, I can't drop him too far because he's got those skills and there's a role for that if a team mm-hmm. wants to tap into it. 
But the Chargers aren't. Like, they're not just sort of saying he does two or three things really well. Let's only ask him to do that and focus on the strengths. They're like, he's going to be out there, and if he's not getting open on the other stuff, he's just not going to feature in the offense. And that, I feel like that's kind of wasting everything. Like, it's, it's not making them any better, and it's not helping him succeed. And consequently, he's just a, like a drag on the offense at the moment. Yeah. No, and, and great coaches put players in positions to where they're able to maximize their strength. That's that's the whole point of what you do with draft evaluation. It isn't necessarily looking at how a guy wins. It's how a guy is going to win for you. You know, that's why we hear all the time in draft weekend, like, oh, you know, this team had 100 players on their draft board. And you go, wait a second, like 260 guys get drafted. If they only had 100 players on their draft board, are they picking random guys that they didn't study? No. The guys who are, you know, ranked 50th through 100 are probably day three or UDFA players, but they're players that they have ranked because they are specific skill set guys that they can envision playing really well within their system, within their coaching staff, within what they want to do. So, you know, 100 is is low. I'm sure the draft board for a lot of teams is a lot higher than that, but you guys know what I'm talking about. It's so... I don't think it's over for Quentin Johnson in any way, shape, or form, but it is a little concerning. Like That was a game where I felt like it could have been a little bit of a coming-out party for him. He could have been featured a lot more. It could have been his best game yet, and it was quite the opposite. So I don't really know how they're going to deploy him moving forward, but we'll see. I mean, the chat, I'm, I'm reading the chat, and like the chat's saying, like, hey, Josh Palmer's pretty good. I actually agree. Like I think that Josh Palmer is underrated. Like I think he's a yeah. pretty good receiver, but, you know, you draft Quinn Johnson in the first round. You're hoping that Quinn Johnson. It's it's no slight to like how good the return on investment right. with Josh Palmer is every time you throw in the football because I think that it's fine. I think that he's a good piece of that offense. But you draft a first round wide receiver like that guy's got to be playing certainly a lot better than Quinn Johnson is right now. So there's plenty of time for them to figure it out even throughout the, his rookie season. But he just not a part of what they do right now. Right, and I also look. It is it's too soon to write him off even if he's not playing well right like there are guys oh, of course we've, right. we've got spoiled with this notion that every wide receiver now adjusts immediately and they're impact players day one a lot of them are but it doesn't mean they're all going to be like that and there are going to be guys that do take a while to adjust particularly ones that do have a a limited skill set or are only good at certain things like that might the adjustment period might be uh longer so yeah it's agreed. concerning but it doesn't mean we're done with the guy already it's just yeah. it's always it's always sort of a double red flag when you already had reservations about a guy and he's not looking good right out of the gate. Now it's sort of like, uh-oh. Right. Um, anyway, back we're to all, the... We're, we're all... I was going to say, like, we are all, as much as we want to be as objective as possible, we are all prisoners of our priors. Sure. Yeah. Like, that is that is how... It, we all try to make sure that, hey, as we are watching games unfold, you don't want to go into things with this, with bias, but... The priors will always be in the back of your head. So if I got like, for example, I was we we talked about this on last week's show. I think I was super low on Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson is has not been able to barely even forget generate pressure, have any sort of like pass rush win that he's not lined up in a wide nine alignment where he's just sprinting at the quarterback and attacking the outside shoulder and kind of getting pressure from the backside. Like, so I'm sitting here in my head thinking, man. He didn't really win in any other ways other than being just big in college. He not really winning in ways in the NFL, and it's hard to kind of like get that out of your head when you want to give guys kind of the benefit of the doubt to move forward and improve, and that's what it's all about, but it is hard to kind of get rid of that. And I don't even think that's necessarily an incorrect approach, right? Like, at the moment, we have a few games worth of evidence on him in the NFL. By far, the biggest body of evidence we have on Johnson or any of these other young guys is – their college careers. Now, we right. know that doesn't matter as much as the NFL, but still, like at some point, there's this transition period between what you thought you knew about a guy, what you think you know now, knowing that this sample size is way bigger than the other sample size, and like, you know, blending the two or, or sort of making that transition between the two. But you don't just go like, we immediately throw out everything we knew about this guy because he's played two games in the NFL, right? Like, that's. That's insane. So, of course, you're going to lean on your priors to some degree. The, the, the difficulty or what I think where the bias potentially comes in or the, trying to avoid that bias is like figuring out when to, to let go of that prior or how quickly to transition away from it or, you know, keep, uh, applying that evenly across all players. That's where I think the difficulty is. But I don't think you sort of just go, 
well, you're you're leaning on your priors, therefore your bias, and you know you can't evaluate. Like that's of course you should be leaning on your priors. That's like most of the evidence we have for this human being is all of the prior stuff. I agree. I mean, like that's it's it, it, that's the right assessment is is trying to find the balance of because it's it's always like 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 PFF, right? the grades and the data are always better when you have large sample sizes. Right. Like large sample sizes are exactly what you want. So until you have a large sample size of how this player is going to play in the pros, the opinions are always going to be volatile and probably more towards either extreme of he's a bum, he's a hall of famer. Like one of the, <laughs> like one of the two right now. So it's, it's kind of a fun phase. Like we're in a fun, we are, we are in the, he's a bum, he's a hall of famer phase right now, which is always an entertaining time, but I, I wouldn't say that it's a truthful time. No. Um, speaking of, you know, future hall of famers, Micah Parsons was insane. Again, the Dallas Pass rush generally was pretty absurd in this game. Micah Parsons, yeah. Demarcus Lawrence, Odigi Zua, all going to come out of this game with a lot of pressure, a lot of, uh, or an impressive pass rushing grade. And I don't know if that was the difference in the game, but it certainly impacted Justin Herbert in the second half in particular, trying to, you know, keep pace or match the Dallas scores. And ultimately, they he couldn't do it at the end. Well, and on that final drive, right? I think that, um, you know, Kellen Moore. I thought he did a really great job as offense coordinator with with two things, and that was neutralizing Dallas's pass rush as much as possible because he knows firsthand from being with the Cowboys like how good that unit is. Um, always being conscious of certain protections and how to get the ball out quick, and just making Herbert like very aware, like, hey, if we call this play and this is the protection, and you hold on to the ball for more than three seconds, Micah is going to be in your spleen. Like he he is going to spear you to the ground. So we've got to get rid of it quick. And I felt like for most of the game, they did a good job of that because I did feel like Dallas was getting a lot of pressure, but they I believe did not have a sack until that Micah Parsons sack, which was on the final drive of the game. So at least you're getting the ball out. At least you are being. Uh, aware of that and so I think that that was an area that was really nice from Kellen Moore and then the other one was red zone like they were using tons of different motion and tons of different looks to really confuse the Cowboys on defense in the red zone and again I think that that comes from one just general practice like I think everybody around the league is showing that motion makes communication really hard especially when you're in the red zone and especially when you're close to the goal line because you got to worry about bodies at the line of scrimmage and being gap sound. Oh, well, now all of a sudden Gerald Everett's moving one way. Oh, all of, all of a sudden Keenan Allen's moving one way or another before the snap. So he did a really great job manipulating them there. I I, I thought that those two areas were, were really nice. But yeah, I thought Micah showing up with that big sack late in the game was key for them because the Stars got to show up, man. The Stars got to dominate. And I felt like he went into that play like a bat out of hell. And he was like, I don't care if it's, you know, prime Joe Thomas that's standing in front of me. Like I'm getting through this guy and I'm getting to Justin Herbert. So that's kind of what you need to have from your star players in order to win games like that. And uh, I, I thought that the defensive line for Dallas did well. Speaking of <clears throat> of your stars needing to show up, what the hell has happened to Joey Bosa? Um, this season, we've now got four games. He's got 10 pressures and is on track for by far the worst PFF grade of his career. Basically, any season that he's played an extensive period of snaps or the majority of the year, he's got a pass rushing grade of like 90. His overall grade is the high 80s, low 90s. This season, it's overall 63.5, pass rushing 63.0, mm. and only has one game with more than two pressures. Is he cooked? Like, is it the injuries? I don't know. I mean, he's only 28. Like, this is... This would I mean, be I feel like quite... he's been beat up a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's had a lot of injuries. But man, if he's this from now on, that's that's a tough outcome for everybody. Yeah. He's only twenty eight. Yeah. Damn, I'm old. <laughs> I'm, uh, you, you've got you got i've got like some i've got like some nfl players that i hear their name and i'll be like yeah they're kind of like the same age as me because i'm 32 yeah and i'm just like yeah yeah they're the same age as me and when i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about oh yeah i watched joey bosa at ohio state so long ago i was like yeah i mean like yeah we're the same age nope, yeah I'm, he's I'm, still gonna have, years. I'm gonna have limited <laughs> sympathy when it comes to complaining about your age you know <laughs> I can relate to being old, but in a different scale, I think, than you. 
<coughs> who is who is older? You or Aaron Rodgers? Oh God, it's me. Oh no. Yeah. There, are, I think, is there a player in the NFL that's older than me at the moment? We might actually be out of them. That's that's scary. I mean, there's obviously Brady. A, there's got to be a kicker who's been around, right? Like I, there, there usually is, but like Brady was well, definitely Cr- the guy. Crosby, Mason Crosby's gone. If Jason Peters comes back, Jason Peters is older than me. Is he really? Yeah. But that's what I need. I need like Jason Peters dragging his ass <laughs> off the couch coming out of retirement. Otherwise, I'm done. Sam's ego is on the line. Please, <laughs> someone sign Jason Peters. For the love of God, sign the man. All right. Um, we're going to move on to other things. I, got, <clears throat> I have an appeal to our listeners. I need help. <clears throat> Somebody, uh, we have been invited to apply for podcast awards um, for, you know, the best, best football, best sport. I don't know what the hell they are. Sports podcast awards, anyway, have invited us to apply to win an award, to be an officially award-winning podcast. But in order to do that, they need a sample of, you know, clips, like small up to five-minute clips of what our best stuff is, right? And I don't know, like we do quite a lot of content, as you may have noticed if you're a, a listener to this podcast. So I need you guys to send us in what you think our best few minutes of, in, of, of podcasting are over whenever since we started doing this, email it in nflpodcast.pff.com. Ideally, linking to the YouTube or giving us a timestamp of like what which show it is and when it is, so we can actually find it and clip it. Um, but we need clips. We got to submit up to three of these things, I think, and we have no earthly idea what to submit. So you guys are our listeners. You guys uh, are the ones making this all work, and will be the reason that this is an award-winning podcast if indeed it wins. So let us know what exactly we should be submitting. Wait, I'm a bad coworker and a bad friend, so I didn't listen to the mailbag episode, but did you guys answer? We did. We answered, my question. We answered your question. Okay, if I if I promise to go back and listen to the to the episode, can you give me the Spark Notes version of which you picked for the defend you and kill you? Uh Oh no, Question. we didn't. So we didn't do the defend you, kill you thing. We did the what the largest animal was. You think you could? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that one, that one, that one. What was it? What was it? What was the results? So I ended up going with some form of just deer, uh, like a, a female deer. Right? Can't have the antlers. That's gonna mess you up. You got to go female. Yeah. So you're you're just dealing with like limbs. Um, Steve was very disappointing. He yeah, didn't... so you didn't watch Bambi growing up, huh? You don't have that po- po- that, that PTSD about uh, you know killing a female. Deer, oh yeah, but I'm already mom. traumatized, right? Like I'm I'm dead inside, so I could take him out, no problem, right? The yeah, Bambi right. already Ireland ruined lost, me, so you're 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 good to go. Yeah, um, Steve was very disappointing. He was going for some sort of like what the hell was he going for? Like a squirrel or something ridiculous? Like he has no confidence in his own ability to stomp out animal life whatsoever. And then the last question we asked Steve was couldn't catch a squirrel. No, it's true. The last question we 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 asked was, you know, if you just if you just like sat in a whale's blowhole, could you could you could you, could you drown? Whale? You know what I mean? <laughs> suffocate the whale. Could you suffocate a whale. Yeah. I mean, look, it's got to breathe. There's also... I bet that whale can conjure up enough force to yeet you 40 (laughs) feet in the air. Maybe, maybe. Look, (laughs) you'd have to pick your battles, right? You might need a small enough whale. Maybe the blue whale is is a bridge too far. But, you know, one of these smaller ones, there's got to be a lion at which point they can't, you know, shoot me out of there, particularly Steve. Um, Also... The, the, whether this the environment is important, right? You know, like you're, you're playing course, right, you're playing right. Mortal Kombat, right? You get to choose the the environment, the background. If Are you're you taking in the octagon, with yeah. a, is it Steve getting in the octagon with a squirrel? Well, the, forget the squirrel. If the whale is on land, you so, you stand a much better chance, right? Right. Yeah, anyway. I. Uh, if you're fighting a whale, you've got to fight it in the water. You can't fight a whale on. Okay. Land. Well, then you're gonna need you're gonna need oxygen. You're going to need the, the scuba gear. Otherwise, you've got trouble. Sure. Right. Anyway, this is five minutes that won't be getting submitted to the awards-winning people. Um, but email us in, nflpodcast.pff.com, for what should be getting submitted to the awards people to 
to, to explain why this is a great, potentially award-winning NFL podcast, not just two morons talking about killing animals. You guys have you guys have some elite moments, so I don't I don't doubt that your your listeners can find some good ones, especially the the PFF NFL show meme page that's yeah, on Twitter. That guy's I got feel some like good they've stuff. got some clips. I feel like they got some clips in the chamber. Right. Well, we need them, so help us out, and then if we win awards, we'll we'll I'll, I'll even sweeten the deal, right? If the the best. The best email or the best clip that gets sent in will win a free year of PFF Plus subscription. And if you've already got a PFF Plus subscription, you will win one of the books that I've been collecting from free uh, media copies and just sitting on the shelf over here. I will send one out to you. Uh, So there you go. That's some incentive to help us out in addition to just wanting to help us out. Now, this particular podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Uh, Our guy, Zach Tantillo, ZT, doesn't want to uh, explain how the weekend went in terms of prize picks, which makes me think they didn't, it didn't go well, right? His prize picks, the ones we gave out to the people, did not return a giant uh, yield of success. Uh, but we're going to move right on past that and simply point out that prize picks is a skill-based, which might explain why they didn't do too well, real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they'll go more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Prize picks adds tons of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress, update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. A prize picks, you're not complete, uh, competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They offer frequent discounts bonuses and other exciting offers you can even pick in-game projections after a game has started which includes halves quarters periods and more go to prizepicks.com forward slash pff nfl and use code pff nfl for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars again that's prizepicks.com forward slash pff nfl and use code pff nfl for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars all right trev Draft time again. We've been doing this every week, running through some of the top uh, prospects available at each position in the draft. We've already done QBs, wide receivers, offensive tackles. Now it's time for edge rushers, another one of those positions that is always at the top of the draft. Uh, Let's start with the the big picture view. Um, How good a class is it and how good are the stars? Like where are we in relation to the likes of, you know, the Aiden Hutchinsons, the Will Andersons of the world? I mean, I, I, I do think that this is a pretty dang good class, man. I think that it's pretty deep. I've got either 10 or 11 of these guys in my top 200, which um, just put the top 200 on the PFF big board over on PFF.com, so you guys can check that out right now. But um, th- there's a there's a lot of good edge rushers, especially at the top. You talk about that star power. There's a handful of players and i think that there's five guys that really have a good shot of being first round picks the first one is latu latu from ucla i know that we'll probably dig into him a little bit but i think he's one of the most prolific and um precise pass rushers in the country with all his different moves dallas turner he was the edge rusher opposite will anderson last year at alabama i think he's playing even better this year so he's somebody who's in first round consideration jared verse used to be at albany the nf and fcs guy who transferred over to Florida State and has looked a part of a first-round pick. Uh, certainly did a lot last year, a little less this year, but I still think he's fantastic. Braylon Trice from Washington and Chop Robinson, just these two athletes that it truly looks like it hurts offensive tackles to try <laughs> to stand in front of them and block them. That's kind of their rushing style. But all, I think all five of those guys could be first-round picks and, and good first-round picks too. You know, I think going back to a theme of – what we have talked about here with this 2024 draft class is there's a lot of really good talent at the premium positions. So every year we will always see teams draft quarterback, offensive tackle, edge rusher, wide receiver, shutdown corner. We will see them pick them in the first round, even when maybe they aren't sure fire first round picks because they want to take the chance on those players because they got to hit on those positions because they're so important this year. I feel like those positions have enough players that will be worthy of those selections. And I think edge rusher is one of them. You're going to see a lot of teams want edge rushers, and there's going to be a handful of guys to choose from here. Who is your number one guy on this list? 
Latu is my number one guy on right. this list. The the pass rusher from UCLA. I, I I always love going through these with you because you're viewing them for the first time like mid season, mm. and I'm I kind of have this. It almost goes back to what we were talking about a little bit further with with Quentin Johnson. Like I've looked at these guys for for so long since June of when we did summer scouting, and I've seen so much of these guys. So every time I kind of hear your point on them. It's kind of a fresh perspective. So I'm curious as to what you thought of Latu as well. Yeah, so I, I don't think any of these guys are at the – they're certainly not at the the Bosa, Chase Young, you know, elite of the elite, probably not even Aiden Hutchinson level of prospect. Um, I don't even think they're at the Will Anderson level of prospect. Uh, <clears throat> I think they're all a tier below that. But I, I agree that Latu was the best of the guys that I watched. So I watched those – I watched four of the five names that you gave me. I didn't get to the last one. Uh, I watched Latu, I watched Chop Robinson from Penn State, Jared Verse from Florida State, and Dallas Turner from Alabama. I didn't get to your your Washington kid. Um, Latu, I think, is definitely the best of that group. Uh, He's got really, really good hand usage. His go-to is that cross-chop move, like, and it almost always seems to work. He's just able to free himself up from contact all the time. He's got, like, good but not freakish bend around the edge. Like, he's able to keep running that arc, even turning the corner with an offensive tackle leaning on him and, you know, trying to drive him and wash him beyond the the pocket. Really good closing burst. I think he can rush him inside as well. Like, he lines up all over the place. Reminds me a little bit of Jalen Phillips, actually, from Miami. Um, Right. And he's – I think there's probably more to come from him as well. Like, I think he's athletic enough to do – a few more things than he currently does as an edge rusher. And there's some, like, it, I think it's probably easier to take a guy whose go-to is attack center mass, cross chop, get around the edge of him, and sort of just say, hey, every once in a while, just run for the space. Like, just try and attack for speed and see how it works than it is to take a guy who's really good at doing that and, like, teach him you know, the more intricate cross chops and, like, mm-hmm. various different pass rushing moves. I, so, yeah, I, I think he's good and can get better. Yeah, I think that what you mentioned at the top, his ability to always seem like he is not letting offensive tackles or offensive linemen in general get hands on him is so, so impressive. And I mean it's a it's not just him either. Whoever the defensive line coach is at UCLA, I mean, Grayson Murphy, Gabriel Murphy as well on that defensive line, they're all the same way. Like they are taught very well i will add how to not let offensive linemen just like get hands on them at all whether it's whether they're trying to long arm them whether they're going for a for a two-handed punch whatever it is they are ready for it and are ready to disengage they're just the the hands are always active they're always there whether they're swiping whether it's a swim move whether they're gonna long arm first and catch them off guard like they, they just always seem to have a plan and latu's reaction speed for how he uses his hands just constantly keeps him free and allows him to attack either shoulder very very well so i think that he is an absolute technician uh he at 65 to 265 like he's got great size i think like you mentioned i think he's a really good athlete i think he's got some really good bend for a player that's his size it's not that rare stuff you're yeah. right it's not like this generational kind of feel to him but Super productive over the last two years, above 20% pass rush win percentage. And that is why, because he's he's always clean. He is always getting to one of those shoulders very, very quickly. So the pressure is there. The winds are there. Um, and and I, I think that you see that backfield of production from him as well. So to me, he is somebody who you draft in the in the top 15 top 10 you yeah. know may, okay maybe he's not a top three overall like you're thinking about him over drake may or anything like that but man i think this guy's going to be a really productive pro no i agree i like he i think he's the best of them i think he's the cleanest guy and i think there's just a gap between him and those like truly elite edge rushing prospects so that we've seen. so do you know anything about his background no, at nothing, all not a thing okay so it is it's funny that you say that and you saying the word clean for his prospect evaluation brings it makes me want to bring this up. He started his career at Washington, played his freshman year at Washington, going into his sophomore year during practice, I believe, suffered a neck injury that forced him to miss that entire sophomore season at Washington. And the doctors at Washington basically medically retired him. 
wow. like said, you, you're not, you, you can't play football again. This is too dangerous. It was too severe of an injury on your spine, whatever. So he sits out that entire season. He gets kind of rechecked, I think, by other doctors, or he's just like, you know, he's, he's feeling better. He's getting, re- and Washington still just did not clear him to play. He transfers to UCLA. UCLA medically clears him. And then last year was his first year playing since that freshman season at Washington. And he was an absolute animal. And then this year, again, he's he's an absolute technician. So the neck injury is going to be something that gets brought up throughout the draft season because it's going to get medically rechecked at the combine. And people right. are going to talk about that. But if you did, I, it, I, I was kind of hoping that you didn't know the background because <laughs> not knowing the background, you probably got no reservations about taking him as a right. top 10 pass rusher. Yeah. But knowing that there's the injury there, it might affect his draft stock a little bit. So that context is important when you guys are thinking about Latu. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if there's a difference of opinion, like if the NFL is split on whether that's a thing, like some guys just take them off the board because their medical guys won't clear them and say, no, that's not, or if it was a case of like Washington's medical people basically just didn't want to reverse what they thought a year ago, you know, and, and didn't want to contradict themselves a year later down the line, you know, and it was, yeah. it was sort of more of a stubborn <clears throat> sticking to an, a diagnosis deal with him rather than actually this is a thing where half the NFL teams are going to say, no, we're out on this and we're not yeah. grabbing that guy. Um, what was interesting from him from an on-the-field perspective is contrasting him in particular with Chop Robinson because Robinson is like way more twitchy, way more explosive but has like none of the hand usage. <laughs> it's, like, it's like almost the opposite player. Um, yep. He reminded me a lot of uh, Byron Young last year from Tennessee, where it's like this Who dude like. is one of the most like explosive, twitchy, athletic, fluid, gifted pass rushes in the draft who has almost no clue what he's doing, right? And if you can teach him what he's doing, now you've got something pretty, pretty special. And he's a guy who's crushing it so far, you know, next to Aaron Donald with the Rams. I, Robinson, I think, is not quite like he's not that clueless when it comes to actually what he's doing, what he's, you know, his, his technique. But it reminded me a lot of that, where it's like, wow, from an athletic standpoint, this guy's got it all. From a technique standpoint, less so. Yeah. And, you know, you saw last year the passers win percentage for Chop was over 20%. You know, a pass rush grade, 92.4. It's one of the highest in the country. He had a 53 pressures that season and so like this guy was extremely productive last year and i i think it really just stems from he was more athletic than offensive tackles were ready for him to be i mean his first step explosion the bend you mentioned just that quick twitch the violent nature of him he just basically used bull rush moves and speed to power stuff and he was pretty much unblockable against a lot of offensive tackles last year this year it's different because i think this year big 10 teams know what he is and it's like hey if we can kind of game plan a little bit for what he's going to do which is just that bull rush speed to power type of game we can neutralize it a little more and during the first portion of this season like he was not really effective like he was getting shut down by a lot of these offensive tackles and he had one of the more surprisingly lower grades and efficiency numbers from a lot of those top tier pass rushers but you mentioned this is going to be the most athletic pass rusher that we have in this class and i do agree with you i think he's he's f- further along than byron young was but that's the type of player that we're talking about here is right. you want Robinson to go to a team with a really good defensive line coach who can get more out of him when it comes to hand usage and, and, and pass rush moves and things like that. Because if you combine that with that first step explosiveness and how he can threaten that outside shoulder at all times, now you are talking about a potential difference-making takeover type of edge rusher. So because of athleticism alone – I think that he is also a guy that you would pick in the top 15. Yeah, and I think like there's there's also differences with Byron Young. Like he's he's only 20 now, right? Like he's much much younger, much less sort of uh much he's not just relying on being an older, more experienced guy. Like there's there are other differences, which is why he's going to end up going a lot higher than Byron Young did, even independent of the fact that he's further along from a technique standpoint. Um right. it's interesting. There was a play against Iowa, I think, where 
<clears throat> like they're prepared for him. They know what he can do. And yet there's a play where he literally just runs right around the left tackle. The left tackle barely touches him. He just buries the quarterback in the ribs. Like that the Daniel Jones meme, you know, where he just drops back, like, and then just drilled in the side. Yes. At the drop, at like nine yards deep, he just run right around the left tackle on the arc. Left tackle barely touches him. And you're like, they knew that was coming and still couldn't even come close to stopping it. And that's Scott Robinson. The best part about him is that he has this like old school aesthetic to him where one, he wears number 44 as an edge rusher. So like already kind of ugly, but if you're good, you can sometimes (laughs) pull it off. He has, he goes no gloves. So he just goes like bare hands. He was out there like and just like long and long sleeves, just like regular ass long sleeves. No like shooter sleeve, no armbands, no nothing. It is long sleeves. It is. Typical height shoulder pads, the number 44, and no gloves. And was, you know what? I respect it. I forget which, which game it was. There was one game where he didn't even have the sleeves. He was out there, bare sleeves, no wrist, anything. Like he's a walk-on. No tape, no gloves, just out there raw-dogging it. Nothing, right? Trying to like go one-on-one with offensive tackles. And you're like, what is this? This is madness. Um, like he's a walk-on and like for penn state they don't have their names on the back of the jersey right. so it really does look like he's just a <laughs> ah we need a body in here get 44 right. throw 44 in there um i think his biggest problem certainly relative to latu is like he gets stuck on blocks you know he doesn't have that hand usage right. he doesn't have he, that he ability did. to disengage yes. and if a guy gets hold of him he just gets like washed out of the play and he's done and occasionally he'll be able to sort of just muscle through it and be and like impact the quarterback, but he's basically done on the play. Whereas Latu disengages, right? You're not keeping hold of him for any period of time. That's what Robinson really needs to add to his game. And then you've got something special. I agree. I agree. All right. The next one I'm fascinated by Dallas Turner. Um, I didn't love his tape. Uh, a lot of late, marginal cleanupy type wins he mm-hmm. seems quite top heavy don't really love his change of direction straight line burst feels okay but i don't know i just i this was the one of the guys you gave me where i'm like i don't really see it for him so i i, I like turner um but of the four guys that you watched he is he is four for me Okay. And I know that there are people who really like his disruption stuff i mean he's he's one of the highest in college football in terms of total pressures and pressure percentage um i think he's got good athleticism last year he was listed around 242 i think he probably played like high 230s um and he was more of a speed guy and if he really wasn't winning with that initial burst to attack those outside shoulders he really wasn't winning a ton quickly i should say uh last year and so this year I do think that he has added weight. I think he's closer to like mid 240s. At least it, it, it looks like that. And I think that you see that as well. Now, I don't know if the speed has really gone down too much. I think the strength profile of his game has gone up. But he is one of those players who I think he's really good at a lot of areas. But I feel like there are difference-making traits, whether it's the athleticism of Chop Robinson or the strength of Jared Verse or the um, technician, the technique of Latu that I would all take over Dallas Turner right now. So I think he's a really good rusher, and I do think that this is a middle-slash-back-end-of-the-first-round type of edge rusher. But compared to those other guys... This was the one that I was the most curious on of what you thought because I know there are people out there who like Dallas Turner a lot. Some people like him as much as the best edge rusher in this class. I'm not on that same page. Um, no. Connor Rogers, my co-host at, at NFL Stock Exchange, we were both kind of on the same page with him when we watched him over the summer. We had him as a top five edge, but both of us had him as edge four going into the season. I still have him as edge four now. I think he's a good player. I think he can uh, clearly a productive player, but he's uh, there are traits that that other edge rushers in this class have that I would take to win quicker and more consistently than just what I've seen from Dallas Turner. So yeah. that's kind of my thoughts on it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't want to like I'm not going to write him off or anything. I'm I'm you know first look at all these guys, right? So I'm sure there's some stuff in there. Like he's got 
he wins with a good long arm. He's got some pretty good power. He can drive guys back into the quarterback. Like there's there's stuff to like, but I feel a little mm-hmm. bit like I felt with Tyree Wilson last year, which is like, you know, there's some stuff here. The stuff that he does well is good. I just don't really see the complete package, and I wouldn't be touching him high in the draft. Like, it's one of those ones where I'm not saying I wouldn't draft him, but I'd let somebody else do it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. by the time I'd be interested in taking him, somebody else is going to have drafted him, and good luck to them. I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I have fun. Hope it works out for you. Um, all right, Good for- luck to him is, is always the most, like, I don't want to say, like, insulting <laughs> phrase, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like. <laughs> all right. The fourth guy you gave, that I actually got through, Jared Verse from Florida yeah. State. Um, he's got a really interesting technique. He seeks engagement more than any edge rusher I can think of for a while. Like, he actively goes into the contact and yep. then, like, chops or, or rips and gets, gets rid of it, disengages it, and tries to sort of make the play. I, that's kind of unusual. I can't think of too many players that have rushed the passer like that. He is a weight room warrior too like his calling card of how he got to this point is is just by being stronger than everybody else (laughs) he got to albany um because he was he was with the great danes program out of high school he played tight end and defensive end out of high school but he wanted to play defensive end albany was one of the teams that would let him play defensive end and he said okay I'll, i'll go there then but when he he got to albany i think he was what'd he tell me six three or six four 210 pounds when he got to Albany. He didn't really play that first year. Second year was the COVID season. So Albany and FCS school, they didn't have a season. So he went home and him and his dad created a home gym in their garage. And he put on 35 pounds of like pure muscle. Like he, he showed back up to Albany and was 245. He won uh, conference player of the year because he was absolutely unblockable with 35 extra pounds of just pure muscle on him. Transfers over to Florida State. And if you go back and you watch, just for fun, the next verse game that you watch, go watch LSU to start last year. It is the first game that Jared Verse is playing at the FBS level. And he makes LSU's offensive linemen look like they are FCS offensive linemen. The way that he just absolutely bullied those dudes with strength. I think the the FBS and his competition last year was not ready for the strength profile that Verse had last year, and he was more effective as a pass rusher because of it. This year, kind of like Chop Robinson, I think teams know what he's going to bring to the table, and it is a lot more physicality stuff. And I wish Verse had a little bit more finesse moves because I actually think he has the athleticism to be more of a finesse rusher. He just does not do it. He he, he I think he gained another 10, 15 pounds over the last year so now he's at like 255 260 and very clearly he he just wants to impose his strength on the guys that he's going up against so he needs a little bit more finesse of it with his game but he is just he is such a worker he is such a competitor and and he is somebody who is just going to give you so much strength in the trenches that it's hard to not gravitate towards what this guy the, and the presence that this guy brings as an edge rusher. Yeah, I, I like this tape. I felt a little bit the same way I did with uh, Latu. Like, I think he can get better, right? The thing that he's, the, the sort of one trick that he uses a lot is a weird one. But I, I feel like if you can do that, you can do a bunch of other things and like not necessarily seek the contact first and actually just target the weak space and the gap and you know right. take advantage of all that. And now you have an array of moves instead of this one I'm just better than you and stronger, and I'm going to whoop your ass once we engage in this block. Uh, so I, I feel like he's already pretty good, and it's a pretty easy sort of fix or tweak to make him even better. Yep, I, I agree. I think that he is somebody who, especially when you, especially when you think about his background and how <coughs> it is only his second year in the FBS. Right. Uh, he's he's going to be a little bit older of a prospect, but. It's kind of like the Byron Young thing, right? Like I, I was, I was decently bullish on Byron Young, and people were like, "Oh, he's this older pass rusher." And it's like, yeah, he's an older pass rusher, but you got to think about where he's been. He's played in the SEC. He's played, he's essentially played real football for two seasons. Two. That's it. So 
you may say like, oh, he's 25 years old. As long as he's you know still a good athlete at 25 years old in his mid-20s, you can explain why he is an older player going to the NFL. A verse is going to be, he's not going to, verse isn't that old, but he's going to be a little bit older. Maybe like 23, 24 by the time the draft comes around. And you might say to yourself, man, that's, that's an older prospect, that's an older breakout age, but it's explained. This is only his second year in the FBS. So year two, year year three in the NFL, like you could get a really damn good player. And I think that that is still well within the realm of possibility, understanding where those guys, specifically here with those here. Yeah. Um, all right, Trev, your audio is going Miley Cyrus again. So I'm going to talk for a little bit while you fix it. And then we can circle right back to fixed audio. And it's going to be seamless, like a professional setup right now. So we're going to circle back to the one guy you gave me to talk about that I didn't actually get around to watching, Braylon Trice from Washington, who uh, has some pretty good production, not quite on the level of those other four guys in terms of PFF grade this season, has 20 total pressures, a pass rush win rate of 15%, uh, albeit with just the one sack in there. Um, and... Got to admit, I have no clue about anything with this guy. I'm in the, the Latu <laughs> line of things. So tell me about him. What does he do well? What is he Is the do? audio better? Did we fix the audio? Yeah, I think so. I think we're good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, see, yeah. see how that worked? Look, that's the clip we should submit to the, the, the <laughs> yeah. awards people. Braylon Trice is a bull in a china shop type of dude. Nice. I mean, he, he is that, like, going to crash towards the offensive tackle. And like I said at the top... He's one of those guys that it looks like it hurts to try to block him, to just stay in front of him because he is a relentless worker. He's got a really fierce bull rush. He's got nice speed to power. But right now it's kind of along the same lines as the conversation of Chop Robinson is that's kind of all he's got right now. And he's honing some other work, but you can tell he's just he's a power player. He's got an explosive first step. He really just wants to get into guys and and – He's not as twitched up. He's not as flexible as Chop Robinson, so he's a little bit further down the list, but still a really nice pass rush win percentage because of how relentless this guy is. And to me, because of because of that work ethic, because of that tenacity, because of that strength profile, because of that good first step from him, it feels like he is a back end of the first round pick at worst just because you know you're getting a really solid edge player that you can go out there and start, and he's going to be solid for you in run defense. He's going to be able to give you a lot of strength in that profile, and then you're hoping that he can develop a little bit more finesse and complement a, a good first step and some explosiveness there with a little bit more of a speed game. So that is the way that I saw Braylon Trice. All right, cool. Um, we got one more thing I want to touch on before we wrap this thing up. Uh, we got the injury news that Anthony Richardson is potentially done for the entire season rather than a four, five, six-week stint that we thought it was going to be. Um, so I want to get your opinion on what we've seen from Richardson so far. But first, we've got to talk to you about Manscaped, who have taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil and trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen Skin safe technology. The handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and using code PFF for 20% off plus that free shipping. It may be spooky season, but you don't want to scare people with a scraggly beard. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman. Are you tired of a bad razor making your neck look like a scary movie? With the Handyman Skin Safe technology to help reduce nicks and cuts, you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. For wet or dry use, feel free to bring this thing anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this the perfect travel tool for on the go. And being able to shave up to three days' growth without the mess of a wet shave is priceless. And for my wolf men with a little more scruff, I believe that's referring to you and I, Trev, Manscaped's mm, yes, Beer Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, 
so no more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs. That's right, your Halloween costumes may take effort, but beard grooming doesn't have to, when you can get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The Beard Hedger is a high piece of art in a travel-sized package with long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. There's no trick with this treat, Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. I gotta say, I haven't had the experience of the handyman due to not having shaved my face in years, but the beard trimmer's legit. That thing's good. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's a good. It, it 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 is a very good product. I never I never fully shave either. Although I've kind of thought about it lately, so like oh, maybe no. I will maybe I will really? expand my manscaped uh, repertoire to get the full to get the full clean shave at some there's, point. Cause there's there's been quite a disturbing resurgence in the mustache as a as a facial hair item. Have you considered so my, going my to that first? My dad has rocked a mustache for as long as I've been alive. <laughs> it's always just been a mustache. And so like, I've never done that because I couldn't grow a beard until I was about 25. Like my facial hair was basically just non-existent until I was about 25. And I have rocked this facial hairstyle since then. <laughs> because I've I've been afraid that if I you know like if I shave it it's never gonna it it's never come, gonna back. come back which which is not true but I've I have not clean shaven my face since I was 25 years old and I've just I've just done the trimming so mm. I don't know maybe I'll switch it up maybe I'll maybe I'll try to like take the mantle like you know take the torch from my father with the legendary mustache and just see yeah. just see how it looks like I've only with, ever with yeah they see yeah, that's what I think I think you need to give it a shot. I've only ever gone for like comedy mustaches, right? Like I've only ever gone to a mustache having shaved down something else. And it's like, well, as long as I'm, well, if I'm going from beard to like clean shaven, I need to have some stops along the way just to of see, course, just, right, to, just right. to try it out, right? So I, I grew that ridiculous, like above the lip mustache handlebar thing for the, the minor <laughs> league Steve thing that we did here, the baseball dress up. And then right. once I got rid of that, I went down to sort of it was a mustache and the little soul patchy thing, right? The mm -hmm. like the the Deadwood thing, right? The, the guy has some Deadwood. I went to that for like a day, and then I got rid of that. So that's basically the only dabbling in the mustache that I've done. But like the late Austin Gale was in here with that ridiculous looking stash for years. Like he's still rocking it. It's madness to me. Like you know. It's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's just Tom Selleck look. I, if you could pull it off, you could pull it off. And I'm not going to tell Austin Gale he can't pull it off. So, you okay. know, who am I? I, I mean, can't do that because I don't have dark hair. You know, I'm, I'm not a, like a Tom Selleck guy. So, and he just looks... Blonde mustaches, I feel like, looks weird. So, I've never really thought about it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, there's enough. It's all about coverage, I think. Like, it's the... It's the shape and the coverage of the mustache it, 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 mm. it determines whether you can get away with it. I think yours, you know, you can see it now because of the, the lighter bits underneath. I think it would work. I think you could get away with it. Anyway. All right. I might have to do it. Anthony Richardson. Probably oh, yeah, down right. for the of year course. now. Right. Yeah. With his you know, he could grow a mustache. He could do it. Why not? Yeah. Um, what did you talk to me about your what were your initial impressions of Anthony Richardson uh, from the few weeks of his play that we did see? I thought it was really encouraging, and I, I tweeted this out when the news kind of came out yesterday. But uh, if if he's going to miss the whole year, it sucks. Obviously, you don't want him to go out there and, and play hurt, right? But just the timeline of, of him missing the whole year, it stinks because I think everybody talked about, hey, what Richardson needs the most is reps it need, he needs plays needs games and so taking that away from him from a rookie year where he was already starting to show some nice growth was great uh, I, I love the pairing of him and Shane Steichen you know from the right off the bat week one I feel like we could see signs of Steichen structuring the offense to get the most out of who Richardson was as an athlete but also being able to simplify the passing game to where he wasn't super stressed out on everything that he needed to read, right? It's not like they put Richardson in an offense where they said, all right, go out there and do full field reads every single time. You know, like there's some of that. There's some progressions. There's some full field reads. But 
a lot of times there were design rollouts and layered concepts and half field reads and you could already see him getting confidence executing those plays as a baseline and then you would expect him to just expand that as he continued to play well. So it wasn't perfect for him, but it really sucks that he got hurt because I, I felt like he was already going in the right direction. And um, beyond just the injury, if you hope it's something that doesn't linger in any way, shape, or form, missing an entire rest of the season and not getting those reps sucks. Yeah, I was really interested to see if his sort of overall accuracy would improve over the course of the year um, or whether that's going to be, you know, a multi-year sort of process like it was with Josh Allen. Um, But he's already, like every single game, has a a, a couple or a handful of passes that are just beautiful, like pinpoint accuracy, layering Mm -hmm. them over defenders, firing them into tight windows, whatever it is, like perfect accuracy. But then just too many misses or too many inaccurate passes, even if they're not necessarily misses. And I think at the moment you're looking at him going, that's kind of the biggest flaw right now. It's not even any of the other stuff that you'd expect to be flaws, given how inexperienced he is. It's just basic level inaccuracy relative to, you know, the, the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And if he can fix that, if that gets better quickly, like he'll, he's going to be really good fast. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's that's why it's a bummer. That's why it's a bummer that that, that he's getting hurt because he just needs the games. He's got to figure out what he can and can't do, and you don't get to do that when you're rehabbing or you're on the sideline. So it's a bummer, man. It's a bummer. But I hope he just really, whenever he gets back on the field, picks up where he left off because he was going in the right direction. How do you think the uh, the Minshew led Colts are going to look like? Because he's been, you know, he's, Minshew's a pretty good quarterback, and then has a game like he had last week where it's like what is this this is just like a train wreck start to finish yeah i think Mitchu's fine um i think that he he will kind of remind you of why he's a backup quarterback because think right. these games with him are inevitable right I, you can get good performances out of him and when it comes to being a spot starter to me he's one of the preferred guys in the league right now like he is a preferred backup you would want him on the team in case you're starting quarterback who had to miss anywhere from like two to four weeks, you'd be cool rolling Minshew out there because you could realistically think, hey, we might go 500 without our starting quarterback, which is not something that you could say for a lot of other backups in the league. And I think that that Minshew presents that kind of a ceiling. But, you know, when it comes to, hey, you're the guy here for the rest of the season, whatever surprising finish the Colts might have had with Anthony Richardson, I don't think you have that same sort of belief with Minshew. So you could do a lot worse than him. But he's just too up and down, and it's 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 just it's too much of a guarantee. Sounds mean, but like it's too much of a guarantee that you're going to get a handful of games like we saw this past weekend from him to really buy into what he is as a starter for a long period of time. Right. All right. So there we have it for uh, Colts fans. Unfortunately, it's not going to be as fun a season or interesting a season as it would have been with Anthony Richardson a quarterback, but. Minshew will make it the roller coaster ride nonetheless. Uh, myself and Steve will be back tomorrow for a mailbag episode uh, and, you know, some other stuff. This has been it for myself and Trev. Thank you for listening along, and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>